Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, so we'll get ready to start here. But it is good to be back, if, if, and you help me if I forgot something here, you know, like anyway. Okay. All right, Matthew chapter seven is where we were. You all remember that from 10 weeks ago, I'm sure. And so, Matthew chapter seven, and we're gonna continue this morning in, um, in, in verse 13. So let's pray first. Father, you are our teacher. You are our father. And so we look to you now as a loving Father, teach us in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter seven, verse 13, here we go. It says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth evil fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat upon that rock. It fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. So here we are, we're in Matthew chapter seven, which like, which, 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 which like all of the Sermon Amount, is, is filled with directions, directions what to do, what not to do in life. And if we take one step back in this chapter and ask one simple question, what is this chapter about? What is chapter seven, how can we summarize it? How can we put it all together? And what means is that we could summarize chapter seven as he's finishing up 
on the Sermon on the Mount with one simple description, and that is how to get to heaven. That's really what chapter seven is all about, how to get to heaven. And that with that in mind, we can see how he's now teaching that the first step to getting to heaven is to turn away from sin, to turn away from self. Turn away from the self in verses one through five that looks at others, judges others, and condemns others. That's what verses one through five is all about. Turn away from the self that does not wanna do to others what self wants done to them. Turn away from the self that, that, that does not wanna listen to that voice inside, that little voice inside that's pleading for the person in front of us who needs something. And, and so the first step to getting to heaven is to turn away from self. This is the first step that Zacchaeus took when, he, when he, his first words when he spoke to the Lord in Luke 19.8, Luke 19.8 where it says, Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. That's Zacchaeus turn, taking that first step. That first step that he took on the road to heaven was to turn away from self that does not wanna give anything to anyone. So the first step that he takes is he turns away from self that has wrongly accused people to get gain. That's the first step, that's repentance. And the second step is to turn to God, and this is what verse seven is all about when it says, ask and it shall be given unto you, and seek and you shall find, and knock and it shall be opened unto you. So this verse seven is all about asking and, and, and for and, and seeking what is desired for and wanting something to be opened up. So it's all about, and it has a basis, and he explained this about the father who's not gonna withhold good gifts from his child. So the basis for this assurance of asking and, and, and seeking and pleading is this assurance that God has the same love has the same affection for his children that an earthly father does or a mother does for her nursing child, as it says in Isaiah 49.15. Isaiah 49.15, God asks the question, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. So these are the representations that God has given for us to keep in mind when we come to him in prayer. The representations, the symbols, an affectionate father, a nursing mother. And what's being asked for when he says ask? Well, Psalm 50 verse 15, Psalm 50 verse 15 says it this way, where God says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. God's asking, God's, God's saying, look, just call on me, ask me. I'm the deliverer, you're gonna glorify me for how I've delivered you, that's how it is. What is a person seeking in verse seven? Seeking, well, the Lord said, he made the invitation in Isaiah 55, six, Isaiah 55, six, seek ye the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. So when you realize that God is speaking this to the Jewish people, you realize that God's been waiting thousands of years for his people Israel to seek him, and he's looking forward to that day. God has a great anticipation, and he talks about that day that's coming in Jeremiah 29, 12, Jeremiah 25, 12, where he says to Israel, then you shall call upon me, you shall go and pray unto me, I will hearken unto you, you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all of your heart. 
and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. So this is really a start, striking statement here as you see God longing, he's longing with all of his heart to make himself known to Israel. He's just waiting for them to come with all heart. Kolev, Caleb, as we say, all heart. Now, verse seven, he says, knock. He says, knock. It's an amazing thing in the scriptures to see the Lord asking us to knock when he's the one who's knocking in Revelation 3.19. Revelation 3.19, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. So he's knocking on the door of hearts of men. And he's telling us that we should knock. And what is, he, what, what is the purpose of the knocking? What is the opening that he wants to see happen? He says in Revelation 3.20 very clearly, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. So that's what's meant in verse seven. It's when the Lord Jesus is saying, ask and seek and knock, it's all ask for deliverance from trouble so that you can glorify God. Seek the Lord himself and knock to have that fellowship with him. And that's what it's all about. So this movement in this passage, as we've seen, of this asking, and then it goes to seeking, and then it goes to knocking, it shows this genuine prayer doesn't sit still. Genuine prayer progresses more and more to a state of urgency. And there's one picture in the scripture that paints this so well, of this picture of urgency, and it's that one night in the life of Jacob. When Jacob was left all alone, with this threat that Esau's coming to murder him, to slaughter him and his family. He's in a night of desperation. God comes to Jacob in the form of a man, and God wrestles with Jacob all night long until finally the morning light is breaking through, just breaking through, and God in the form of a man says to Jacob, I have to go, I have to go. He wanted to leave, and Jacob says no. Jacob defies, Jacob protests, Jacob says no. In Genesis 32, 24, Genesis 32, 40, 24, where it says, Jacob was left alone. There wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. The hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. He said, let me go, for the day breaketh. He said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. He said unto him, what is thy name? He said, Jacob, he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. He said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob called the name of the place, Peniel. He said, I have seen the face of God. I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So Jacob there says to God, no, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Jacob was asking for deliverance, for deliverance from Esau, who was coming to kill him. And, 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 and that's, that was Jacob asking. And then Jacob wasn't just happy to walk away with that blessing, but Jacob developed a sincere, special interest in God who had delivered him. And that's what's all behind when he said in verse 29, Genesis 32, 29, Jacob asked him and said, tell me I pray thee thy name. He's not just happy to have his request granted. He now takes an interest in God. He wants to know God's name. That's Jacob seeking God. And then Jacob goes on to glorify God by saying that God has preserved my life. You should call on me. I will answer thee. You will glorify me. That's what he does. 
He goes on in, in Genesis 32, 30, Jacob calls the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life was preserved. He goes from that place, from that night, from that place of Peniel, he travels on. He makes almost a beeline in the next chapter, Genesis 33, 18. Genesis 33, 18, where it says, Jacob came to Shalom, a city in Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan. And when he came from Padanaram and pitched his tent before the city, he bought a parcel of a field which he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and he called it El Elohe Yisrael. So Jacob builds an altar to have fellowship with God. And, and Jacob calls God by a new name that he's never called him before, El Elohe Yisrael. God is the God of Israel, or Jacob. God is the God of Israel. Jacob making that altar for fellowship with God was Jacob calling God, and Jacob was therefore knocking on God's door saying, I wanna be with you. I wanna have fellowship with you. Now this is Jacob asking, seeking, and knocking. And so as a result, Jacob is now crowned with a new name. He's got a new name, Israel. It's all what's behind it. There's a man who was earnestly asking, seeking, and knocking, and he gets the name Israel, all because he said in Genesis 32, 26, 32, 26, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Now, that was Jacob, but now, what about everybody else? When does a person really engage in this asking, seeking, and knocking? No one is going to engage in verse seven in asking, seeking, and knocking unless they have a strong sense within them. A strong sense, in order for a person really to engage in this asking for God and seeking God and knocking for fellowship with God, a person has to have a strong sense of not having God, of, of not having eternal life. A person has to have a strong sense that he's really standing outside. He's not inside, he's outside of God. A person has to have a strong sense that, 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 that the crowd that's being spoken about in verse 14 is on the wrong road, and he doesn't wanna be on that road. Now the Lord then goes on in verses 13 to 14 and says that there are two roads. He says there's two roads. He says, enter in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way, leads to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. Few there be that find it. When it says few there be that find it, you can't help but think about Israel wandering in the desert. Millions of people wandering in the desert at this time. Only two of that generation go into the land. Only two, just Joshua and Caleb. All the rest die off. So the Lord says there's two roads. And the thing about these two roads is that he describes both of those roads go into eternity. Just two roads, there's not a third road. There's not a third road that goes to nowhere. There's not a third road that leads to annihilation or a ceasing to exist or a ceasing to be. There's two roads and both of these roads go into eternity. One road goes to life and heaven for eternity, and the other one goes to death and hell for eternity. But both of the roads go into eternity, an eternal death, an eternal existence in hell, or an eternal life, an eternal existence in heaven. So only one road goes to heaven, 
not many roads to heaven, just one road, just as there was just one entrance into the tabernacle, one gate into the tabernacle where God was in the wilderness of Sinai. That's what it says in Exodus 27, 16, Exodus 27, 16, the gate of the court, not many gates, just the gate, one gate. Anyone who wanted to go into the tabernacle had to go through that gate that way. The gate of the tabernacle, is, it was the illustration behind what the Lord said in John 10, 7, John 10, 7, then said Jesus unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door, I am the door of the sheep. He said in John 10, 9, John 10, 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. So single gate to the tabernacle as illustrated by the Lord Jesus. And he said, really speaking about, really thinking, you can see him thinking about this single gate into the tabernacle when he said in John 14, 4, John 14, 4, he says, he says, whither I go, you know, the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Only one gate into the tabernacle. Only one gate into the road that leads to heaven that he's referring to here in, in, in chapter seven. Only, and, and the Lord Jesus is the door. He says in John 14, six, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there's two roads. They lead to eternity. Only one leads to heaven. That's it. One road leads to heaven. That's the reason the Lord Jesus says, go in that way. Enter into that narrow gate. Go into that narrow road that leads to heaven. As a matter of fact, the Lord Jesus didn't just say go, but, but, but he said in, in another passage of Luke, which we'll see, he said strive, fight, struggle to, go, to get into this life. I remember a conversation I had with, with Mike Johnson when I told him first about 10 years ago that I had cancer. I had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and Mike said to me these words, I never forgot it. Mike said to me, Tom, don't give up. Fight for life, life is precious, it's worth fighting for, don't give up. That's what he told me. Well now Mike has been diagnosed just recently with stage four liver cancer and, 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 and the doctors are giving Mike no hope and when Mike was thinking of that, just giving up and going on, Mike remembered what he told me. He told me on the phone. He says, Tom, I remember what I told you when I told you fight for life. Life is precious. It's worth fighting for. So that's what he's decided to do. And that's what the Lord Jesus is really saying here in verse 13 when he says, enter ye in at the straight, straight gate. Fight for eternal life. Eternal life is precious. It's worth fighting for. And this idea of of fighting, as I mentioned, is in Luke 13. Luke 13, 24, in a parallel passage, he uses the, the word strive, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. This word strive, behind this word strive is the idea of fight, struggle. And so the Lord Jesus reveals when he says this in Luke 13, 24, he reveals a terrible scene a scene of people of des in desperation, a scene of people fighting to do anything to get into heaven, only to hear the most terrible words, you cannot, it's too late, you are too late. You, you squandered your opportunity and it's gone now. There is no second chance, there is no purgatory, there is no temporary stay in hell and then a transfer to heaven. Death at death, everything is final. 
It reminds me of this desperate scene, and you all saw it too, when, when, when Saigon was falling to the North Vietnamese. And there were the, the South Vietnamese, and they were pressing against the gate of the American embassy, trying to get on that helicopter that was gonna go out to sea to the aircraft carrier. And, 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 and so therefore, the Lord uses this term, fight for it, strive. Raises the question of what are we fighting against? What, 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 what obstacles are in the way to going to heaven? What are the, what, what are the problems? What are, why is it so narrow? Well, first of all, as he said in Matthew 17, he, he goes on to describe uh, uh, Matthew 7, 7, verse 13. He, he, he talks about the narrow gate versus the wide gate, the narrow way versus the wide way, and, 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 and then he goes on to talk about false prophets, so here are some difficulties that, 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 that are in front of, of, of going into the narrow way. First of all, it's difficult for a person to accept that the gate of heaven is so narrow that it has to go through one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what about all the other people who follow Buddha and, and Hinduism and Islam? How, how can you reconcile all those people with the fact that there's only one narrow gate, none narrow way through the Lord Jesus? So, this is a, so, so the first obstacle is to say, the gate's too narrow. The gate's too narrow. It's too narrow. It doesn't include Buddhists and Hindus and, and, and the Muslims and so forth. So that's the first difficulty to accept that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Second difficulty to that gate is, 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 that, is, that, way, is that the way that leads, the way that leads to destruction is very wide. The, and the, it, it, it's very wide. The wide gate, the wide road, they seem to be all-inclusive. They include everybody, every lifestyle, all sorts of sins, everybody's okay, everybody's welcome. It seems so loving to not exclude anyone from, from the way, and so the gate's wide, the road's wide. It's difficulty to overcome and realize that that wide gate, that wide road is leading to destruction. It's the wrong way. That's difficult. That's a big obstacle because we, we, when we look over that wide gate and that wide road, you know who we see on there? We see our friends. We see our family members. It's difficult to say, well, they're all on the way to destruction. But seeing, and, and seeing that gate is so narrow, it's difficult to, to find many, many different ways. That you can't find many different ways that all lead to heaven. It's difficult. Yeah, and, and so this has to be fought through. This has to be battled through. It's a difficulty. And when a person starts and goes through that narrow gate, is on the narrow road, oftentimes it means he's leaving friends. He's leaving family. That's a severing of relationships. I Maybe mean, he doesn't want it, but it just happens. And, and as, as Peter said in 1 Peter 4.4, 4, 4, 4, they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. I mean, they're saying, come on. And then you're saying, I can't. And that's a parting. That's a parting right there. Okay. What is it? Such a dramatic point, Scott, that it... <laughs> <laughs> Scott sounds the symbol. Okay, so that's just like Abraham, who was called by God in Genesis 12.1. Genesis 12.1, in that, in that he, God said, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. This is the famous Lech Lecha passage here, very, the famous part where God literally, when he says lech lecha, he says, you go you. 
when Abraham went through that narrow gate, that narrow path, and God told him, you're gonna leave your country, you're gonna leave your family, you're gonna leave your people, you're gonna go to a land that I'm gonna show you, that was difficult. That was difficult for Abraham. He had to fight his way through. He had to strive on his journey. But the wonderful fact is, in Genesis 12.4, Genesis 12.4, very simple words, so Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. Not easy, but he fought. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 